Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. There's nothing like clarity. It's a key word, of course, in this series. And, and there are times in our lives when we are crystal clear about things. Uh, we've all had, we, we, even, we call them moments of clarity. Because uh, when we get one, we realize maybe how long we've been in the dark about something or fuzzy on something. And they're life-changing moments, freeing, guiding, stabilizing. Uh, and you can have them, I mean, anything can happen. Uh, I was reading an article this week sent to me by a, a couple of different people actually on uh, it was an ESPN.com article on Aaron Rodgers. It's an incredible article. Uh, it was called The Search for Aaron Rodgers by Mina Kimes, tremendous writer. And she's telling his story, and basically he, uh, the night he won the Super Bowl, he got on the bus with everybody else because it was here in Dallas, maybe it was during that freeze they got on the bus, and he was sitting around with everyone, and everybody on the team is celebrating this high. And he said, something was going on inside of me. And he makes this comment uh, in this interview where he's, he's in that moment, it was in that moment that he realized that winning a Super Bowl isn't everything. He said, I got to the highest rung I can get to in the world that I'm in, and I was hoping for another rung, and there wasn't one there. And it made him get spiritual. In fact, she writes in there, he realized he was still looking for something for a sense of clarity. So in that moment, and then he writes this, he says this, it's natural to question some of the things that society defines as success. When you achieve that and there's, and there's not this next rung, you know, you know, up the ladder, it's natural like to go, okay, well, now what? And so in his soul, he was searching for clarity, and it came after a high, not necessarily a low. I mean, either, either end of the spectrum is, is hard. And in this series, we're hoping that we can sort of get a maybe a sort of a season of clarity about our faith. Because perhaps your faith is like that. It was once crystal clear to you, but now it's not. We live in very modern times. Information at an all-time high. Technology at an all-time high. And culture seems to come at us, and, and I just compared it to Harvey with such forceful winds that it really does shake us up and leave us sort of devastated spiritually. And you're not sure what to believe about things or you're not sure you want to believe anymore. And last week, so we're kind of going to Colossians and looking at and letting Paul help in us there because Colossians, the Colossians... Uh, had a very, very similar thing. Some um, gale force winds came into there. Their levees were not, their spiritual levees couldn't handle the tidal waves 
that were beating against their faith doctrinally, through people, through circumstances, and it uh, started to shake. And so last week we went to Colossians for Paul to give us help. And we looked at the gospel, which is the core of Christianity. It's what Christ has done for us. Because Paul is going to argue that that's what gives you clarity to all reality. It changes everything. And we learned that if Jesus is not the center of your life, you'll feel it. You'll start, you'll feel from the edges of your life coming in, the fragmentation, the fracturing, and then the disintegration of your world, if he's not at the center of it. We've all felt that internal feeling. And so Paul says, essentially says this, only Christ can bring you that kind of clarity. Uh, and, and there's a visual in this text, because Paul's praying, and we'll look at this a little bit deeper at the end here today, but remember what Paul says, uh, that he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. This is sort of the visual picture of what Paul is describing as the gospel. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And so you have this light-darkness image, and whatever Christ has done for us, okay, we've been moved from one realm to another realm, and, and this one is light. And certainly in that light is clarity, because that light, whatever it is, it's, it sheds light on all reality, on the true nature of, of everything. We said last week that Jesus is the theory of everything. Of course, he's more than a theory, he's a person, but... He's the person behind the theory of everything. And if he's not the center of your life, it's going to disintegrate. One of my favorite quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which I told you he had a lot of influence on me on this series. And he writes this, and he's in prison. This is 1944. He's finally got arrested for his resistance to Nazism. He has... Uh, been arrested, and he writes his parents a letter. And again, we're very fortunate to have his journals. But anyway, he writes this, this simple thing, and I actually put the quote up here because this is what he said. I live in a great unseen realm of whose real existence I'm in no doubt. Now, he's in prison, and he'll be dead within a year. And he said this, and I thought, oh my goodness, because that's exactly what Paul is saying. We have been transferred from one realm of reality to another realm of reality, and in this reality, there's clarity. There's crystal, clear clarity. And I just love this, and, and it just made me ask, and maybe you're asking it of yourself right now, could I say that? I'm in no doubt. So we, we looked at the gospel. We saw it as the core. And then um, we realized that as the core, it's not the beginning. It's the core of your faith. So that you never get away from it as if they are the ABCs. The gospel's not the ABCs. What Jesus Christ has done are not the ABCs of the faith. They don't get you in. 
And then you have to come to another place where you go, well, now what do I do and what I need? Now, Paul is saying, no, the gospel is the core, and from it, everything comes. And, and sort of what grows out of that is this thing you and I talk about a lot is it's spiritual life. What does life look like lived in the light? What does clarity feel like spiritually? So if we, we gained a little clarity on the gospel last week, let's gain a little clarity on the spiritual life. And again, Paul's going to help us. We're still in the same prayer with the beginning of chapter 1. And here again, I just want to show you the whole text. Don't get nervous. All right? We're not looking at all of this today. I just want, you, I just want to show you what Paul keeps saying. And it's highlighted in yellow. And I just want you to see the key words. Notice what he's going to say. Truth. Gospel. Truth. You learned it. Knowledge. Wisdom and understanding. Knowledge. Paul's pressing in this prayer for us for, for clarity. Don't you think? Don't you think you guys need to be clear about some stuff? Because the Colossians weren't. They just, they were not clear about it. So Paul's, first, and here's basically what, what I think he's saying is, I know that you, you, you thought of the beginning as something great. It was a great light. You felt like you had a moment of clarity when you came to Christ. But that clarity's fading on you. And then you get the idea, and here's the subtlety. Here's the real subtlety that happens in the spiritual life if you're not careful. You go, I found Jesus. He saved my soul. But he's not doing a whole lot for me now. I need to find something beyond that now. So if that's you, and by the way, we all get there at times. We all get there. Thank Jesus for saving me. But now I've got to go figure out how to grow and be spiritual. And if you make that move, as soon as you make that move, you'll start to disintegrate spiritually. You won't be able to get where you're going. You'll add stuff to the faith. You'll create spirituality out of your own head and, and in culture and things you read and things like that, that that aren't truth if he doesn't stay at the center. And so Paul says, Paul's basically saying, <laughs> there's, no, there's no mystery Don't make it harder than it is. Don't try to figure stuff out that there's not to figure out. There's no mystery. Here's what Paul said. There's no mystery to the universe, and there's no mystery, ultimately, to your inner person. That's what we're going to end up learning by the time we're finished with Colossians 1. There's no real mystery. At the center of it is Jesus Christ. That's it. At the end of the day, that's it. You say, well, what does that mean and what does it look like? Uh, well, here's another picture of a couple of verses. For this reason also, Paul says, oh, this is verses 9 through 11. We're going to look at those in a minute. But I just want you to look at these, this phrase. It's all the same Greek word, by the way. All. One, two, three, four, five times. Paul doesn't just want you to know stuff. He wants you to be, he wants it comprehensive. He wants clarity. That means there's, here's, here's what he's saying is, you know, God didn't come down, save you, and then say, go figure stuff out. That's not what he did. There ought to be enough clarity and comprehensive clarity on things. 
And we were trying to say this to you last week. You may not not understand all of science or physics. But you understand who's behind it, don't you? You may not understand all of philosophy and all the philosophies, but you know who's the philosophy. You know the the only person you're going to get meaning from. You say, well, I'm not a philosopher. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yeah, and you are a scientist too. Because I'm trusting he created everything and nothing happens without him. This world wouldn't, you know, the sun wouldn't rise, this wouldn't, you know, the earth wouldn't spin, nothing without him. That's clarity. And so they just, just tease that out in every area of life. Well, there's lots of people talk about religions. Talk about them all you want. There's one head of the church. Paul says, hold fast to him in chapter 2. Hold fast to the head of the church. I'm telling you, if you let go of him in any category, your world just will start to disintegrate. That's what Paul is essentially saying. So what does that look like for us spiritually? And uh, it's... um, It's... Labor Day weekend, so this is going to be sort of chill. Are you ready for just sort of a chill discussion about the spiritual life? Are you ready for that? All right. Chill discussion about the spiritual life. As it relates to this, because Paul's still praying. He's praying. What does he pray for? And how should we see it? Because when you look at the spiritual life, do you just say, if I just said to you, how's your spiritual life? You go, ah, you know, you'd look at, you'd probably look at the whole thing and, and, and judge it. And I'll tell you what we're, what we're not very good at. We're not very good at understanding the spiritual life with enough clarity that we can look at the layers of the spiritual life and see how they fit together. This is one of the reasons why our spiritual life flounders at times. Because we're not very good at put, putting layers of it together. We think of the spiritual life as a whole, sort of. And not... And not layer it. And Paul's about to layer it for us. Um, and I don't want to overcomplicate it. There's a real temptation to overcomplicate it. I just want us to look at it and hear it together. Uh, so let's look at verses 9. So this, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, that's the gospel, we haven't ceased to pray for you. And here's what Paul's praying for because here's, here's the key. What is he praying for? He's praying for this right here, that you are filled with, there's our word, knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, in this little sentence right here, which is, which is the essence of what Paul's praying for, this is what I really need you. What is the all and what is the knowledge that he wants? This is it. I want you to be filled, and that filling is complete. Complete. With the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And by the way, at the end of the sentence, this is how this sentence works. That's why I'm calling it spirituality. It's because of this word here. It's the last word in the sentence, which is usually emphasized. In Greek, it's either the beginning or the the end. Depending on how it's written, it emphasizes. So what he's basically saying is, I want you to be filled with all the knowledge of his will, wisdom and understanding, spiritually speaking. 
That's what he's essentially saying. So that's why we're looking at this. So this is the key adjective that's describing the world Paul wants you to know, and he's going to define for us what this spiritual is. He's using wisdom and understanding and this filled with knowledge. But there's a key phrase in here that will help us. It's his will. Because that's what it is Paul wants you to know. It's his will. Because, here's basically Paul's argument, and this will be teased out through chapter 1. This is essentially it. Well, I guess you're right, Pete. If he is behind all of creation, if he is in charge of the universe, if it's him and him alone who could redeem me, no one else has died for my sins and risen from the dead to solve my biggest problem. No one else has made it possible for me to relate to God. No one else is in charge of every single thing going on on the planet or in the universe. Why wouldn't I spend my life wanting to know what he wants? Do you see what Paul's saying? That's, and, and, if, and if that's not what you're doing, then you didn't understand spirituality and you didn't understand what I meant when I said Jesus Christ. You just thought I meant the nice guy in the sky who made it possible for you to go to heaven. That's not what I meant. I meant once you figure out the theory of everything, then you just, (laughs) who is Jesus? Then how many words can I pile up to say, that's what you ought to be trying to understand. That's what you ought to be wise about. That's what you ought to know. How many words can I pile up to say, What he wants ought to be the focus of every breath I take. That kind of clarity. You get that kind of clarity in your spiritual life? That kind of clarity. Now, this kind of clarity about what God wants, and we're going to see in a minute kind of what it is, is the kind of clarity. It's not the kind of knowledge you go, oh, and then you're satisfied. Because I'll tell you, we live in a culture right now where we're accustomed, we're accustomed to learning things every single day from different sources and literally doing nothing about any of it. Aren't we accustomed to that? Because the truth of the matter is, how much more information can you take in today and it really matter to your life? We're accustomed to every time we pick up our phone, every time we do, when we're doing nothing, even when we're doing things we should be doing, we're doing it. Looking for more information. Information, information, information. And then we go on to living our lives just like they always were. You know, I really need to see what he says about nutrition. And then you go on eating the same crap you ate yesterday. <laughs> I really need to see what he says about working out. And you do the same old or never get to it at all. Well, I'm saying we do, we do it all the time. And Paul's trying to say, no, no, no. The kind of knowledge I'm talking about, which I'm trying to use every term I can to describe it, is the kind of knowledge is so that, so that you will walk. Or that's a metaphor. It's the word for walk, but it means to live. It's just a metaphor. To walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, which we've already identified who that is. That's Christ. And if he's not the Lord of your life, Paul says, then there's not going to be clarity. But if you have him in the center, 
of your world, then you'll be figuring out, listen, this is <laughs> the walk is basically the best way to describe what Paul is saying is, I want you to have him at the center of your life. I want you to know what he wants so that while you're traveling down your journey, while you're on your journey and traveling down it, you are walking in a life worthy of him. Look, to please him. And here's our word, all respects. I want you to please him in everything. Now listen, here's the kind of thing that when you really do realize who Jesus is, that becomes what consumes your life. If I realize he is the before all things, holds all things together, and everything is for him, well, it doesn't really make sense to to add anything to that. That's what Paul is saying. And so, kind of another way to word this, this is just sort of how I worded it for myself, is uh, ask this question to yourself. What do you want to know? Like, what what are you waking up every day wanting to know? Because I guarantee we're all sitting in here right now and we got things we need to know. Right? You got things you need to know. I just jotted down, like, some of you are asking this question. How am I going to get out of this? Right? At some point, we all have that question in our lives. How am I going to get out of this mess I'm in? All right? I bet you're asking that question. I need to know. Uh, How am I going to stop this? You got something in your life and you go, man, I really need to know how to stop this. Or you say, how am I going to get this? I got to get my hands on this. How am I going to get it? I need to know. Or you're saying, uh, how am I going to deal with them? I really need to know how I'm going to deal with this. You got kids? You're always asking this. You're asking all of these. How am I going to stop this? How am I going to get this? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to get out of this? How many, do, how many times in a week do you think you say or think these two lines? I don't know what I'm going to do. How many times do you think you think that or say it? I don't know what I'm going to do. Or you say this, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. How many times have we done that? We're all doing it. We're doing it all the time. Life just it poses constant complexities. What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. Here's what Paul is saying. I'll tell you one thing you need to know that you're going to do every single day, come hell or high water. I'm going to please God with my life. That's the spiritual life. If, you're, if you thought the spiritual life was, oh, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. This ought to be a nice trip. If you thought that, then you're going to be in a mess. If you thought, wait, am I really important to please him? I got, I got the beginning taken care of, and I got the end taken care of, the in-between, and I just got to walk around going, I don't know. I don't know. Wish I knew. Paul's saying, I don't want you walking around here going, I wish I knew, and what do I? Of course there's things you don't know. Of course there's things we'll never figure out. But there's one thing you ought to be crystal clear about in your life every day, whether you know or don't know. And that is, I got to put him first. 
and he's got to be at the center of my life. Now, uh, there are, I'm going to do this fast, because again, I think it's easy to overthink. So I'm just going to highlight. Paul is about to give you beautiful, this is what's beautiful about observing the text. He's going to give you four participles. Four participles. Grammar. All right, grammar's good. Hey, when you're studying the Bible, grammar is important. Okay, you, did, you hated it in high school. Probably because your coach was teaching it. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you why. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. Yeah. Coaches, for those of you who are teachers, I love you. But I know why you're at that school. All right, listen. Uh, there are four participles that are going to unpack. So you say, oh, just please him. What does that mean? And this is where Paul layers the spiritual life for you. He layers it. So you go, oh, man, there are pieces to this thing that I got to be thinking about. What does it look like? And I think the feeling I get is that it goes from the outer to the inner. Uh, even though it's all one thing, it kind of starts on the outside and goes deeper. So let's just quickly look at these four participles. Okay? The first one is this, bearing fruit. That's number one. Bearing fruit in every good work. So we talked about this before because there's bearing fruit and increasing or the word growing go together because Paul's already used this phrase. We saw it last week in the gospel. Hey, the gospel that was in you, the gospel you heard, that's bearing fruit and growing in all the world and increasing. Not only in you, but around the world, Paul said. It's already bearing fruit. So he's already using it again. This is, we said, was creation language. When God created the world, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And so what you're getting is sort of a spiritual recreation, spiritually. You had the physical creation. This is sort of the spiritual creation, the new creation. That's what Paul means. In other words, here's the point. Here's the point in that imagery. When God created us, he had a purpose for us. Now that he's recreated us, he's got a purpose for us. And that is to please him in everything. Bear fruit in good works and grow in the knowledge of God. So we got this bearing fruit. Now here's the only thing I want to tell you about bearing fruit. This is the only thing I want to tell you about bearing fruit. All right? This is about, because when we say fruit versus works, because when, when I say good works and I put that in the spiritual life, you and I will get tripped up because we'll go run around and start doing stuff and feel better about ourselves. No, no, God's already handled that in the gospel. You won't run around doing stuff to feel better about yourself. Okay, fruit is organic. It's natural. You walk up to the tree, the apple tree, they ought to be hanging there. You shouldn't go, wow, there's actually apples on this thing. They're natural. They just appear. That's a healthy tree. Want a healthy spiritual life? There ought to be fruit hanging on your life. There ought to be fruit that's falling on the ground. It's all, you know, you you can pick them up off the ground because they're falling off. Your life ought ought to be bearing fruit. Good works ought to be as natural to you as apples to an apple tree. Natural, not 
Not an organic apple. I'm talking about good, no pesticide, nothing. Just organic apples in your life. Just good things happening that you're doing for God naturally. And so you, you could assess your spiritual life and go, man, how much effort do I got to put every time God wants something or every time I figure out something God wants me? It's just a pain in the neck. If it's always a pain in the neck, something's wrong. We ought to, at times, be surprised by the fruit we see. That's how natural it is. Well, looky there. Three new apples today. Well, looky there. All right, see, that's what I'm talking about. They're just natural. Okay, so that's your first one, bearing fruit. It's just organic. It's from deep inside. It just comes out. Second thing is we're increasing or growing in the knowledge of God. Now, Paul has already said, I want you to know and understand him. How do we, but how do we grow in knowledge? And this is really important because we'll think of the spiritual life as, uh, well, I've already learned all the basics. So what, here we are in the, grammatically speaking, the second participle, and Paul's telling me to know more. Why is he telling me to know more? That's how he started the whole thing out. Here's why. Because there is a kind of knowledge that comes after fruit has appeared. There's a kind of knowledge that comes after the fruit has appeared. This is a really important thing, but spiritually speaking, it's good. Have you heard the axiom, the rich get richer? Well, that axiom can be carried over into your spiritual life. The obedient gain more knowledge of God. As you obey God and you do his will, you learn more about him in ways you didn't know before. So if you shut that off, fruit's not appearing, it's pretty random. Somebody walk up to that tree and go, eh, I don't know if this tree's going to make it. If people are walking up to your life and going, I don't know if this tree's going to make it. It's very possible that what's happening is because you're not bearing fruit, you're not growing, you're not obeying, there's not the knowledge that comes layered on top of that. So as you obey God's will, new knowledge of him appears. And every one of us understand what that looks like. Every, every one of us knows that once you step out and you're doing something God wants you to do, then he comes alongside you and reveals things you didn't know. He comes alive in ways you didn't know. And I'm just going to tell you, that's what keeps you moving in the spiritual life. That's what keeps you moving is that fresh reality of God because I've stepped out. Some of us are standing back here going, well, until God shows up and tells me what I need to know. Uh-uh. You trust him, you obey him, you step out. And you let him do, because some of that knowledge is only coming as you step out and get to know. That's the simple truth of that. We could tease it out all day long. But I do like what Ed Martin said about this. To receive the gospel is to come to know God. To know God is to do his will. To do his will is to know more and more of God. And by the way, I don't have time to look at this verse. I had it up here, but you can jot this down. John seven seventeen. Read that. Listen to the words of Jesus in that verse as it relates to this. All right, third, strengthened. Uh, let's go here. Strengthened with all power. Here's the next, here's the third one. 
Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You got strength, power, and might. So now Paul is speaking about an inner strength. Okay? And, and, and this is a very, very important lesson spiritually that we learn from this third participle. That the power to do what God wants us to do is not generated by us. It is not generated by us. Remember we talked about being healthy and natural at the fruit? Well, there's a supernatural power that's inside of your life at work. It will help you accomplish, attain all of what God wants you to attain. There should be an inner strength. You cannot do it by yourself. You know, famous thing now is, to, is DIY. Do it yourself. Christianity is not a do-it-yourself religion. And if you've turned it into that for yourself, then you're going to be really frustrated spiritually. Paul's going to say, no, no, no. I, there's power. And, and listen, you could, we, could, we could camp here for a couple of weeks if we wanted to just by looking at these three words. His glorious might. All, the, all of who God is. He's marshalling all of his glory in, in a kind of internal power for you so that you can be what he wants you to be. And you say, what does he want me to be? Where does he want my, where is that strength coming in me so I can do what? Two things, steadfast and patient. Steadfast and patient. Again, all day long we could stay here. I just want to tell you what the two words mean. This means to be, uh, to hold up, to hold up. In other words, imagine weight on you that wants to crush you, but you can hold up as a result of it. You got anything crushing you today? Okay. Well, there's an inner strength working inside of you because part of the spiritual life is holding up under those things. And they'll want to weigh you down. They'll want to crush you. So that's what steadfastness is. Hold up. This one here is hold out. How long, can you, how long can you hold up? That's what these two words mean together. You hold up and you hold out. That's where the strength comes to do that. You can't do that on your own. Listen, and by the way, until you're in the circumstances and the weight is on you, you, you don't know what God's capable of. If you tried to picture yourself in Houston, I don't know what I'd do if I was on a roof. And everything I have is lost. I'll tell you what you do. Watch those people, and you'll see how it's done when God's grace comes in to an area and fills people with blessings. You watch how it's done. You can't try to imagine it. You got to be there. You got to be soaking wet. And then watch God's grace come in, give you the strength to hold up and hold out. How long can you stand it? How long can you go before you get bitter? How long can you go before you strike back? How long can you go before you, well, looks like I got to do this myself. Looks like I got to take action on my own. Uh-uh. Hold out. You thinking about doing something stupid? How many of you in here right now think about doing something stupid? I'll bet it. I'll bet you think about doing something stupid. And here's what Paul's saying. Let God's strength give you the power to hold out before you do that. 
That's what he's saying. That kind of strength. Last one. Joyously giving thanks. Joyously giving thanks. Let's see. I literally have three minutes to do this fourth participle. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of light. This is where we started. Joyously giving thanks. So if we have been working down to the inner core, if we've been working to the inner core, and all these are layers, bearing fruit, growing in knowledge. So fruit starts to appear. I learn more about God. I've got strength to hold up and hold out. Now there is this inner core. Here it is. And I'll tell you what, this is the inner core of the spiritual life. It's as basic as you've ever heard or want. But at the end, at the core of who you are on the deep inside, there is a joyous thankfulness to God that drives all of the spiritual life from the inside. See, this takes us full circle back to the gospel, which because of time, I'm not going to have time to do the last three verses where it says Paul has quali- or God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's qualified us, and then look what he says. He rescued us, and he transferred us. Remember that picture I had up here about the light? We went from here to here. Do you know what it took to get you over there? Do you know what it took to get you clarity? God had to qualify you because you didn't meet the standard. God had to rescue you or literally tear you away from the powers that were holding you. That's what rescued means. And then transport you to a whole new address. And the address of his who? All the way back to Jesus in the gospel. At the core of your spiritual life, you didn't leave. The gospel isn't the ABCs. You didn't walk away from the initial in the beginning. Oh, no. At the core of your life, you wake up every day going, I'm in the light, baby. I'm in the light. And I didn't do anything to earn it. That's the first truth. I didn't do anything to earn it. I was torn away. I do not have to obey those evil powers in my life. They are no longer, they no longer have sway over me because of what Jesus Christ did. You see how reality is changing? You see how everything's in the sun? Everything is in the sun. Because I have him, I'm qualified. I don't have to run around every day trying to qualify myself. That's not the spiritual life. That's already been done. Rescued from the powers of darkness and then transported to a brand new address where I see things different. I see reality different. That's what he's saying. Well, wow, four little participles. You chew on that, we could have chewed on it forever. I'll close just by saying this to you. I read this. Um, I love, you probably do too when you hear them, the the Greek myths. And if you know anything about Orion, uh, the son of Jupiter, there's a couple of different uh, stories about the myths of Orion. You know, mighty hunter. he falls in love with a gal by the name of Merope. And uh, her father, Chios, is a king. And so Orion has to impress him because he wants to ask Chios for Merope's hand. So he goes to the king. And when he asks the king for her hand, 
he's not very impressed. He gives the, gives the, the very clear sense, yeah, I don't think you're the guy. And so with all his hunting and power ability, he goes to the island that they're on, and he literally kills every single wild beast. This is the myth. kills every single wild beast, and he brings it, and he piles it up. It was a messy, messy, messy day. All this pile. And the king still isn't that impressed. Orion gets upset. He tries to take her by violence. And the king strikes him with blindness. He gets struck with blindness as a result of it and banished to the sea. Well, in the myth, while he's banished in the sea and blind, blind, sort of the legend continues that the oracle, an oracle comes to him, some medium, some communication, and says to him, if you go and catch the rays of the morning sun and let them burn their way into your eyes, you'll receive your sight again. And so he does. And because he does it, after his death and his clarity, you remember he's put up into the sky. He's in the constellation. Orion's in the sky. And Dr. Beterwolf, after hearing that story, wrote this, and I just want to close with it. Oh, my brother, those of us who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light know what it is to have the inner vision blinded by the God of this world. To have eyes that see not, to sit in appalling darkness with all the glorious truths and divine realities in general lost to sight. But there is one who is full of light, full of pity and love. And you can, if you will, turn your blind face toward heaven until Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, arises with healing in his wings. Until he who looses the bands of Orion shines on you and turns the shadow of death into the brightness of morning light. Here's what Paul would say to anyone without clarity. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Father, I pray with all of my heart that's what we'll do this morning. Is turn our eyes to you. So no matter what area of our lives we feel like we're not in the know, that we're clear about wanting to please you. In Jesus' name. Amen.